standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus, <clears throat> episode 476, coming to you on the 16th of August, 2023. Today's episode will be entitled A Question of Leadership. Before we get into that, let me remind you, you can help me like, share, and subscribe to this here podcast. Follow me on your favorite social media, and if you're feeling particularly motivated, go ahead and rate and review this program. I am on Facebook. I've got both a page and a group there. I am on the gab, <laughs> MeWe, and I even have a YouTube channel that is basically all the audio. At some point, I'll get back to making videos again, but I got to tell you, <clears throat> it's summertime, and I'm rather busy with work and everything else that I'm doing. I just can't make videos and put out a podcast. It's just not feasible at this time. So please bear with me as we jump into the program. <clears throat> All right, as as you may be aware, every episode of this program is based off of my opinion or my understanding of the facts. Occasionally, I get facts wrong or dates out of order or uh, details get missed. It is your job to hold me accountable, but I will always give you the same warning that uh, the former great radio host, Neil Bortz, used to say, just because I'm telling you something doesn't mean you should believe it. And of course, I am paraphrasing. Don't trust anything that anybody tells you or anything that you read. You need to do your own research. You need to back it up. You need to confirm it. Or if you prefer the Reagan quote, trust but confirm. So in my political life, I have made it a habit to trust somebody until they prove themselves to be untrustworthy and to not be willing to talk about somebody in such a way that I wouldn't tell them to their face. Now, granted, you don't always have to be aggressive. You don't always have to be rude. In fact, I prefer to not be those, but I can be. As a uh, former punk in high school, <laughs> my words probably said by other people that were older than me, and former sailor, I'm quite good at being rude and abusive when speaking. I opt not to do that because I do believe that you can get more cooperation with people that are actually actively engaged in an agreement with you. And if you turn them off, you're not going to get their help. Or if you prefer the adage, you get more flies with honey than vinegar. That being said, what does that mean? Right? We're talking about leadership. Well, so you have any different kinds of leadership styles. I mean, you can go read all the books you want. You can do self-help. You can do, you know, training, right? And I've had people ask me, well, what formal training have you had? And I said, well, really none. I've read a couple of books, you know, in the military, I got to see examples of both good and bad in regular life. I got to see examples of really bad, bad, and pretty decent, but leadership really you can lead from the front and expect your people to follow. You can go in the back and drive them forward, or you can inc well, you can inspire people to go with you. I choose and I prefer to use the inspirational, right? I'm going to take this step. I want you to come with me. I don't want I don't want to get so far ahead of my people that they lose interest or they think I'm out on a limb, which I'm sure is a cat. Uh, uh, <laughs> wow. Not enough caffeine, folks. Not enough caffeine. I'm sure this has occurred on several occasions, both with me and you, right? You go on something, you go off on a tangent and you start going in a direction and people are like, yeah, I'm not going to go there with you. 
Uh, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like it. Whatever the reasoning is. So I'm going to give you what my understanding is on on a couple of uh, key differences here. And I'm going to break it down in the way that I think it makes sense to me. Now, you might have read something similar in a book. You might have seen something in a diagram. You might even have a better interpretation of this. But I'm trying to keep this simple because if I make it complicated, people tune out. I mean, I tune out when somebody drones on about details that I really don't care about. So I'm going to keep it as very simple as I can. So you've got an opportunity to decide if you're going to pull people or push people, right? So pull means you're out front. You're pulling to get the people to catch up to you. Whereas if you're pushing, you're shoving them, right? You're making them do something. So obviously there's a time and a place where both might be effective. But ideally, especially in the political situation, People have free choice. They can do what they want. They can either work willingly to accomplish a goal or they can say, forget this and walk away. Or they can just sit at the sidelines and not care. So in my mind, when I get these mailers, when I get these phone calls and I, it's uber emotional in nature and it's, it's inflaming people, in my opinion, unnecessarily most of the time. There are certain things that should inflame you, but most things are hmm, hyperbole. They're, they're excessive. They're over the top. And they're done that way on purpose because they know hacking the amygdala, right? The amygdala and tapping into people's emotions, get a response. They, they, they have trained we the people to be like Pavlov's dog, right? We get that emotional stimulus and we do what we're told or we do what we're being asked to do. Um, Not everybody, not all the time, but as a general rule, the populace does react to that. That's a push, in my opinion. Now, look, I'm sure there's a psychologist or psychiatrist or some counselor out there that's going to take issue with how I'm choosing to explain these things. And that's okay, because I'm not claiming to be a clinical anything. I'm not claiming to say this is definitive analysis. I'm giving you my opinion of how I see things and how I understand them. So the difference is when you're pushing people, you're manipulating. That's another way to look at it. Now, some manipulation is understandable and quite frankly, normal for politics. It just is. It doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it ideal. But sometimes... That just happens by nature. And it's in its um, pre-existing. We have to overcome it many, many times. But how do you do that? Well, that's where the poll comes in. Now I look at poll as real simple. I'm here. I want you to come along with me and we're going in this direction. Doesn't matter what the issue is. Doesn't matter what what the movement is. It's just the, the leader is pulling them towards them. They're encouraging them. They're giving them details. They're giving them facts. They're getting them involved. They're pulling them along with them. Now, politically, how do you do this? Well, you can do your stump speeches. You could, but again, now you're kind of going back into the emotional appeal. You have to show people and you have to lead by example. And that's a challenge and it's long-term, right? It, It takes more effort. It takes more time but it gets people to buy in. It gets people to be interested in what's going on 
And hopefully along the way, they're getting better educated and they're getting a clearer understanding of what's going on. Now, if you take the top 10 issues of Texas today or take the top five issues of what's playing out in McKinney today, it'd be very easy to predict which side of the dichotomy certain people are on, right? If, if not from previous actions, certainly by attitude or their affiliation, but that's not always the case that, and, and some of the, some of the issues are actually split within parties or movements, right? I've taken great pains to plot out where I stand on a couple of issues. I don't necessarily expect anybody to agree with me because it's me. I don't necessarily, or I should say, I would hope they wouldn't disagree with the issue just because I fall one way or the other. I want them to do their own research. I want them to come to their own conclusion. Interestingly enough, I watched a uh, clip from uh, the old TV show, Boston Legal, which back in the day was hilarious. Yes, it did kind of go off the rails and it was definitely not my political orientation by and large, but if it's funny, it's funny. And they talked about in this specific episode in this clip is there are a whole lot of uneducated voters out there, right? And it, it was both making fun of them and being derogatory towards them, but also defending them and what the people want, the people want, right? Now, there there is a balance there, right? Because we just talked about that. If you push people to do certain things, you might get them to do it, but it's better to pull them. It's better to draw them along with you and get their own buy-in. So it was a, a different way of looking at things, right? I can push people to get them to do things. I can, I can incite them to go do things, or I can encourage them to follow me. See, this is where I'm at. This is why I'm here. I, take a step of faith or, you know, step out of the line, if you will, and follow me. We're going to go do this, right? One's inspiring and one incites. That, that's the quickest way I can, my determination of it is. All right. Then the other dichotomy is drive or direct. Now in leadership, there is always a temptation to drive. And I'm not talking about drive as in pushing like you would with cattle, right? Drive the cattle. No, no. It's about maintaining control at all times. Never let go into the wheel or right. Or I guess I said that right. Never letting go of the wheel. Always stay in control of the vehicle, (laughs) right? This is, this is the driver that is a control freak. This is somebody that doesn't want to give up absolute control. Doesn't, doesn't trust the people they're with must maintain order in their own mind. Now, again, at times this is necessary. If you, if you get in a dangerous situation while you're driving a car, yeah, then you want your best driver in the driver's seat. You want them to take control of the steering wheel and the shifter and the brake and the gas, right? You you want them in control because it's a treacherous road in front of you. But most of the time it's not. And the only way you can train new drivers is to give them an opportunity to do that and hopefully they'll follow your direction. So the alternative is are you are you a directing? Are you a director, right? You tell them what you need them to do, you trust them to get it done, and then you correct them and you encourage them and you quite frankly, at times, maybe even need to wrangle them in. When it's a child, it's punished. When it's an adult, it's mm, 
I can't think of a good term for it. <laughs> just it, there, there are different ways of approaching different people at different situations. And specifically, if somebody uh, does something foolish, they need to be shown why. They need to have a discussion and an education as to why this is a bad idea. You can't just yell at them. You just can't de- degrade them. You can't abuse them because then you're pushing them away or you're actually creating them a situ- or creating a situation for them where they're going to be more apt to disagree, more apt to disregard, more apt to work directly against you. And we don't need that. So again, the difference is the driver must be in control, whereas a director trusts his people to do what they've been trained and what they have been shown to do. Now, does it work perfectly all the time? No, but your driver, (laughs) see, your people will never get better, will never learn if you don't encourage them and you don't give them an opportunity to lead and you don't give them an opportunity to step up. That's how everybody gets better. You have to build up trust. If you're a direct door, you can build that trust. Now, I'll I'll give you a, um, a story here. Now, I was tapped to teach both of my daughters to drive. That didn't go so well, especially with my older daughter. I was extremely high strung at the time with work issues and just stress and every little thing, dad flies off the handle. Now, granted, I didn't, you know, I wasn't doing anything abusive other than maybe using some Navy language and smacking the car seat because I can't believe you just did that. And that was wrong. It was not a good thing to do. I'm not proud of it, but it happened. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to lie about it. I imagine that probably made it more difficult for my older daughter to learn how to drive. And certainly my younger dry, or my younger daughter observed some of this and she probably was not super excited about learning how to drive with that. But the difference was, is uh, I think my younger daughter might've said I was a lot more chill when that opportunity came around. Circumstances in my life had changed that I had a lot more patience and a lot more um, ability to relax. That wasn't the fault of either of my daughters. It was circumstances. So you've got to also have a little graciousness for your leaders, whether they're directing or driving. Sometimes the actions they take is because they think they don't have another option. And when you spend a lot of time going after your leader, who is typically a driver, right? They, they need to be in control and you, you're constantly beating them up. You're constantly fighting with them. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to want to give you any control because you've proven yourself to be a problem. It just, it's self-fulfilling, right? Well, you're not going to give up any control and you want to maintain everything. And we don't like that. So we're going to be angry with you. Meanwhile, the driver says, well, uh, you guys haven't shown the maturity or the level of understanding or whatever the situation is. I can't trust you to take over. I can't trust you to be in control of these things because you crash and we all want the same things, right? Well, not always, but in theory, we're going down the same path. So again, the difference between a director and a driver, the driver cannot and finds extremely difficult to give up control, whereas the director is giving control up, but expects and needs for his people to trust him or her people to trust them so that they will get to the right path and get to the right way of doing things.
It's, it's, a, it's a symbiotic relationship when you are a director as opposed to a driver. When you're, when you're in, if your driver is a leader, then he or she will expect that you do whatever they say and don't question it. Whereas if they're a director, they're going to assist you. They're going to guide you. They're going to train you and they're going to get you to a position that at some point in the future, you can step up and be a leader and know the right way to do things and do things in such a way to inspire others. That's the goal. That's the idea. That's the difference between the two. All right. The next one, force versus embrace. Now, these are uh, maybe, or I should say, these differences here are probably not entirely different than the first two. Just another way of looking at it. I can force you to do certain things. I can do it because I can make your life miserable. I can do it because I'm in control. I can do it because I can slow the process down, whatever it may be, to an unbearable grind if you just don't do what I want you to do. Well, nobody wants that, but it can be done. Sometimes the hand gets forced or the embracer. The embracer's like, hey, man, uh, I don't agree with this or I think this is a bad idea, but let's go have a conversation. Let's talk about this. Let me let me understand where you're coming from. Let us get on the same wavelength here so that maybe you'll agree with me if I give you a better argument, or maybe we can just come to the conclusion that we're going to agree to disagree or realize that we both have legitimate principled reasons why we believe this and not see each other as an enemy. So this is a challenge, right? Because there are people I know that have the ability or the power, if you will, to force the issue. And it doesn't matter if it's in the business world or not. If they have the power, they can. And there's very little you can do about it. Now, you can fight back. And, you know, if it's in the business world, you can go run to HR. And I would imagine that doesn't work out for either side long term, but it can be done. You can also, uh, you know, in the political world, you can fight back. And you can disrupt and you can cause problems. But at the end of the day, you're going to spend so much time doing that. You're not going to actually accomplish your mission. You're not going to move in the direction that you all say you want to move. It's counterproductive. The real issue is, in my opinion, we spend so much time fighting amongst ourselves that We fail to realize that we're aligned, whether it's 75, 80, 85, 90, 95% of the time we're aligned. And rather than worrying about the problem, right? The leftist, the Democrat, the progressives that we, you know, all but maybe three or four items we strongly disagree with. No, 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 no. We want to purify ourselves. We want to, we want to toss out those that disagree, those that deviate from what we want, Yeah, I agree. It is an issue. It is something that needs to be dealt with, but it is not a priority. If you keep, again, we have to embrace each other, right? So we can force people to do what we want. We can put them in such a position that they can't ever get anything done that they want to do. We can drive them out. We can force the issue all the time, or we can embrace it. And we can work with people that, yeah, okay, we don't agree on these couple things, but you know, most of this stuff we do. We can see value on these ideas. Let's work on those together. Let's get those things done together. And in case you're wondering, yes, this is directly applicable to almost everything that goes on in my party. (laughs) 
We have to work with each other. We are on the same team. Yeah, okay, maybe we don't agree on this or we don't agree on that or maybe we think this is a better way to accomplish that goal than than this way is. But we want the same things. But yet we see each other as enemies as opposed to recognizing the enemy, such as it is, metaphorically speaking, is over there on that hill. Let's let's put our fire on that hill and let's realize we're on the same side. Now the counter is, well, they're unreliable. I don't trust them. Yeah, okay. I will 100% agree. Yes, both sides have been unreliable in the other's eyes. And there are trust issues on both sides of this dichotomy. But again, if you don't work together, if you don't build up an esprit de corps, you're never ever going to get the things done that you want to do. Now, as a leader, you have to strike the balance. You have to know what's the best direction. What's, what is the best approach in this situation? Sometimes there are appropriate times to drive. Sometimes you do have to force people to do the right thing or keep them from doing the wrong thing. So sometimes it is necessary to push. It's necessary to, you know, get people excited. But again, you have to determine where that is and when that is. You have to find the balance. If you're always doing one thing all the time, you're not going to be successful. Your group's not going to be successful. Your business is not going to be successful. And quite frankly, my fear is maybe I'm guilty of this sometimes. What do I mean? So I, I talked to a couple of individuals that I know and they said, Stephen, your problem is you're afraid of leadership. I'm putting words in their mouth, but basically the argument is you want to defer to your people so much and you want to give out so much grace and credibility that they don't know where you're taking them. They don't know what the goal is and it causes them problems. I was kind of surprised about that. I honestly never expected that to be a critique on me. I'm usually pretty clear. I'm usually on the ball, but it was pointed out in at least several instances where when the opportunity presented itself, I should have taken the opportunity that was now presented and used it as an educational experience or as a uh, opportunity to explain how I was looking at something to get buy-in. See, now I talked about that very same thing, right? You have to get their buy-in. You have to, they, you want to embrace them and you also need to direct and you want to pull them, right? So these are all things that I'm doing, but I failed a piece of it, at least in the mind of the couple of people that were critiquing my actions. And on further review, they have a very strong and valid point because I'll tell you, my entire life, and, and, and I'm sure this is true for most of you, but my entire life, all I've heard is, um, beware the bad leader, be, be, beware the strong leader. You know, they're going to lead you down a path of destruction and, you know, quote unquote, you need to be the servant leader. You need to defer to your people and you need to, you know, always be looking for your out for what's best for the whole. That that's what we were, had beat through our skull Well, there was that church or school and I really, I got to tell you, I, I bought into this. I, I thought this was the way to go. I've always led with that approach. But after 
you know, after reviewing this and then taking what I've learned, you know, in the relatively recent past, I, I read a biography on MacArthur a few years ago, but I never really put some of the pieces in place until I watched a, a video describing Patton and some of the things Patton did and why Patton did some of the things he did. And it really came down to it is both the guys put their men first. They put the concern of getting their boys home first and foremost. So whereas MacArthur looked at it from the standpoint, we're going to go where they're not and we're going to eat up territory that way to force them into a box. Patton had the idea, well, if we're charging forward so fast that they can't properly defend, we can take all this stuff and then have the people that are following us mop up. So we're preserving life or causing that other poor SOB to die for his country instead, right? So the idea is I'm looking out for my men. My men trust me. And look, this World War II, there really weren't any women in the military, so to speak, as far as in this uh, operational action here, right? So yeah, I know there was wax and waves and all this other stuff, but just, and nurses and, but the fighting men were all men. So get over it. So both Patton and MacArthur had different ways of accomplishing the same thing, but they put their men first. They don't want to risk their men. They don't want to hurt their troops. They, they take calculated risks and they move on where they think is the best time and best place to do things. But their men trusted them. Their men thought they were good leaders and they didn't really question day to day what was going on. They were willing to go and fight and make the most of it because they believed that their leader had what was best for them in mind. And they were given enough information to maintain that confidence. They were given a vision that they could understand and they were willing to follow. So when I look at these two examples, they're both pushing and pulling. They're both driving and directing. They're both embracing and forcing in, in their leadership, right? You think the officer's corps below those, uh, below Patton and, uh, MacArthur would have went along with it if they didn't know what was going on. No, they trusted their general. Likewise, their men trusted them. It was a chain of command. It was there. It was functional and it was uh, appropriate. Now you can't do that all the time. Obviously this is just an example but look, if I can't learn as part of the process, if I can't improve myself going forward, then why am I doing this? And I'm talking to you about this because look, there's a little level of vulnerability here. <laughs> I mean, I don't run around thinking I'm smarter than everybody. I don't run around thinking that I'm always right, but I am very confident of what I believe and why I believe it. And I'm perfectly happy to discuss that with anybody at any time, but it's a personal pet peeve of mine when you want to prevent people from being able to have a discussion. It's a personal pet peeve of mine when you shut down operations because you didn't get your way. That's something like out of middle school. You're going to have your temper tantrum, take your ball and go home. Grade school, right? So when you're the leader, you have to build the trust. The question is, do your people trust you? And if they don't, why not? Now, I believe that most of the people that I work with trust me. I work very hard to build that trust. And sometimes you make a mistake and you got to be willing to own it. One of the things that I've always told everybody I work with or everybody I've worked for is I will always own my mistakes. I'm not going to lie about it. 
But the flip side is I refuse to take the blame. I refuse to accept responsibility for something that was beyond my control. I'll get it fixed if you tell me to get it fixed. I have no problem with that, but I don't want to be beat up for something that I didn't cause or I wasn't responsible for. That seems like a fair trade, don't you think? Now, for those of you following along, if you've listened to the previous three episodes, that was Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, you skip Tuesday, right? Because that's talking about Texas as usual. This directly relates to that. The, the idea that you can lead and not give a vision, which I thought I did, but upon reflection, there's a legitimate argument that I wasn't clear enough. So I own that. I will make sure going forward that I cast a vision before I start speaking about details of how we're going to get there. I can't be a good leader if my people don't buy in. I can't be a good leader if I'm not willing to take it on the chin every now and again. Consider that done. What does that mean to you, dear listeners? You need to reflect upon yourself and in your own life. Is there a possibility that you skew one way or the other? Is there a possibility that you could improve? Is there a possibility that maybe you're just not a leader yet, but you want to be one? Well, how do you get there? It depends. Not everybody's supposed to be a leader. You can't all be chiefs and not have any followers. Yeah, I almost went down that path. Sorry. (laughs) Not everybody gets to be a general. Somebody's got to be a lieutenant. Somebody's got to be a sergeant. Somebody's got to be a private. Or for you Navy guys out there, right? Not everybody gets to be the captain. Somebody's got to be a first lieutenant. Somebody's got to be the chief. And someone's got to be the fireman. It's okay. Everybody has an important role, which is dependent upon trust. The captain can't do his job if he doesn't trust his first lieutenant. The first lieutenant can't do his job if the chief doesn't do his job and he doesn't trust that the chief can do his job. Likewise, the chief, his job is to make sure that that fireman or that seaman learns how to do his job properly, ensures that he can do it properly without being constantly babysat which until they're ready to be on their own, this kind of sort of the chief or the first class penny officer's job, make sure that they know what they're doing. Now they can delegate that depending on how big the divisions are and whatever else. But again, this is military. You'll learn how to do the job. And once you've mastered that, you can take on other roles and other tasks. Not everything is the military. I know. But if you want to learn how to be a good leader, you really need to look at some of the leaders that we've had in the military. If you want to learn. And with that, it has been 30 minutes on the, uh, the question of leadership. With that, I will see you on the other side.